Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. Yeah, Dominic, do your little do your little wave. It's Friday, the end of another week. And Dominic, coming into today, you know, hours before we got get out into the studio, we thought this was just going to be another episode, you know. One just to, you know, one to take a number, episode 146, yeah. you know, just get in line with the rest of them. Yeah. And then the last few hours happened and everything has just gone off the rails. All of a sudden, this is like two episodes in one. Yeah, there's quite a bit to discuss. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I'd say the fight card is like the least of our, <laughs> of <laughs> our concerns. <laughs> but there is a pretty important main event happening Saturday night. Uh, big implications for that title picture for women's strawweight. We'll get into that. A few other fights on the card. But before we do, we start with those stinky, stinky fight announcements. Stinky, huh? <laughs> We're actually going to go back-to-back Bellator here. <laughs> Starting Scott Coker. November 5th, Bellator 270. And there's a lot to get in with this one, but let's just start with what's on the surface here. The Bellator lightweight title will be on the line as Patricky Pitbull. That's right. The mm. brother of Patricio, who had just lost his featherweight belt to AJ McKee at the end of the summer. He'll be going up against Peter Queeley. That's a 1v4 matchup if you guys care about the Bellator rankings. Now, the question here, Dominic, that's really the focus of this, I guess. You know, it's a good fight. We admit that. Good fight. Patricky Pitbull, very underrated. He's kind of been in his, or I guess, gone into his brother's shadow over the years. But a very good fighter in his own right and deserving of a title shot here. Peter Queeley, another really good fighter. Not exactly sure, I guess, how he's going to do in, in, his, in his title opportunity here, you know, probably a bit unexpected for him. But the reason why this fight has come together is because Patricky's brother, Patricio, has decided to relinquish the last belt he had, that being the lightweight title. His reasonings apparently being that he wants to focus on reclaiming his featherweight belt from AJ McKee and in the meantime didn't want to hold up his brother, Patricky. Yeah. From getting the shot at the belt. So, Dominic, let's just focus on the, the real reason we're talking about this. Patricio Pitbull, is this the right move? You know, you he was a two-division champion, and now he is, in a couple months, went to zero. And yeah. it's a big risk, right? Yeah, for sure. This was definitely something that came out of the woodwork today, but I can't say... I don't respect it. It's a bit heartwarming, you know, looking out for his brother, letting him kind of take the reins. As you said, he's Patricky has been overshadowed by Patricio. I think it's pretty obvious for years now. Uh, but now, you know, since Patricio lost his featherweight title, he's solely focused on going back down, getting revenge against AJ McKee. If you guys are loyal fans, you know that Noah has hinted that this could potentially be a trilogy that we see in the future. So it looks like the rematch is going to be in the making shortly. In the meantime, he gives up his belt at lightweight. I respect it for his brother as well as the entire division can just continue to move on, and the two rightful guys are sitting there ready to go at it for the vacant title. And that's the event that I think is in Ireland as well. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a really big event there for Bellator, Bellator 270. And for Patricio, again, it's an interesting move, unexpected. 
but it does make sense in terms of where he's at in his career. I mean, he's older in a sense in terms of fight years. He's had a lot of fights, uh, so it's going to be harder and harder to contain two belts. And when you have A.J. McKee to worry about with one of them, it's probably best you prioritize him over anything else. So, uh, again, it's interesting, but I, I like it. I, I don't hate it. Really, I think this is uh, – if you're talking about – Look, I, I think it's admirable, and I, I I don't dislike the move because I know why he's doing it. More so for the brother side of things, you know, Patricky is the number one ranked lightweight, and obviously those two aren't going to fight one another. So yeah. I, I respect that. I'm just talking in terms of, I guess, competitiveness or um, his standing as a fighter. I don't think this move makes much sense. I mean – you can say you want to focus on getting your belt back at featherweight, but um, who's to say AJ McKee doesn't try to go up to lightweight at some point and mm, take right. that belt? So if you could hold a claim to that, that makes that's an interesting matchup. You add 10 more pounds, maybe that does something to one of those guys. I think if you go based on those, in, in, I guess it's weird because I, I don't hate the move because of the reason, you know, ultimately the reason he's doing it's very sound and, Mm-hmm. Good and yes, heartwarming. Sure, whatever, butterflies, all that shit. But I just think, in terms of, you should never, you never want to just give up your belt. I mean, I just don't think that's something that I'm, I'm going to start telling other fighters that it's a good idea to do to relinquish their belts if they decide they want to focus on a different division. I mean, it's you know, you never. It's just not a way that I like to see someone's title reign end, especially someone like. Patricio Bibble, who has been right. such a good, dominant champion for Bellator. Um, you got to think about some of these other fighters. Yes, it, Peter Queeley, for example, if he were to get a win over Patricio Pitbull at lightweight for that title, what that could do for him, mm-hmm. you know, look at the rub AJ McKee got when he got that win over Pitbull. Now he's like the biggest star, Bellator, one of them that they've ever had. Yeah. You know, now nobody's ever really going to get that shine. And again, all for good reason, but in ter- there's two trains of thought, familial side, very honorable, respectful, and that's the side I'm going to side with. But Dominic, I think in terms of that other side, that the more fighter perspective, I, I don't think it makes much sense. But, you know, again, you know, put both sides together, I'll side with the family. Hey, and can I just add one little quick tad bit here? Imagine Patricky can win that vacated belt, and Mr. Mm. A.J. McKee does decide to venture up to lightweight in the future, goes for the other Pitbull brother, and just maybe becomes a doubleweight champ, both of those title victories against the Pitbulls. I'm just saying. There's a lot of things that got to align for that to happen, but it wouldn't yeah. surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me at all if that does. Uh, is that's not something that's – at least in Scott Coker's head right now. <laughs> right. Um, and it's not, it's, I wouldn't even be the first time that you've seen that kind of thing. You know, Kazu, Kazushi Sakuraba, he was known as the Gracie killer. He was yep. literally taking out all the Gracies in pride one by one. Um, it's not the first time that this has happened. So it would be a very fun story, though, for Bellator to implement. Um, you've even had the Shevchenko sisters get in on that a little bit. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, good fight, but we're going to – Transition to Bellator 271, happening a week later. Chris Cyborg, for the first time in 2021, she will be defending her women's featherweight title against the number five ranked Sinead Kavanaugh. Now, 
we obviously don't know a ton about her opponent, Kavanaugh, here, but we know how good Chris Cyborg has been, is, and will be. So it's an uphill battle for her opponent, but I'm happy to see Chris Cyborg get back in there. Um, you know, the Bellator women's division, the, these two divisions they have for their women, it's it's just been a little stale for a while. feels like over the last few months we haven't had a ton of action going on there outside of um, who was the former the UFC veteran that got that big TKO um, in Bellator. She fought Shevchenko for a title a while back. I'm going to blank. I'm going to blank. You know who I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, she had – outside of that, though, these 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 divisions have felt a little stale, you know? Yeah. The title fights haven't been all that exciting, and for Chris Cyborg to come back, it's going to put a little life into these women's divisions, I think. Yeah, always exciting to see a legend of women's MMA go out there. It's going to be her look to be her third title defense uh, for Bellator. So it, it might be another domination. Maybe there's an upset brewing. You never know. Well, let's not even consider the upset because obviously there's a, something you have to consider. <laughs> but I refuse for one reason, Dominic, because I'll be very interested to see afterwards if, if uh, Chris Cyborg wins and dominant fashion like i'm sure we expect her to does she perhaps call out a certain phenom that's waiting to be signed kayla I harrison thinking the same thing <laughs> and you know it those the stars would align for that to be the case and i I'm, I'm very much intrigued if that'll happen but maybe it won't and you know we can just keep we can just keep talking about it on here you know right right stir up some drama mm-hmm. um here's one on november 13th it's a day later from Bellator 271. We got our rebooking, Kevin Holland, Kyle Dawkins. Uh, they're they're running it back, and I think that's good. Yep, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> we just broke um, that fight down. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, UFC 269, December 11th. One of our fights has unfortunately um, been removed, that being Montana De La Rosa has had to pull out of her fight with Macy Barber. Now, Dominic has led to a lot of speculation. Macy Barber posting. Uh, she was the one that kind of broke this news. I don't even think it's yeah. actually official yet that Montana's out of this fight. So we're kind of jumping the gun here a little bit. But Macy put on her Instagram that Montana was out due to an injury. She actually called out uh, the Happy Warrior mm-hmm. for a rematch. And a lot of people were kind of like, nah. Yeah. Maybe not. Yeah. So Dominic... You know, if, if if the UFC looked to keep Macy Barber on this card and get her a replacement, and honestly, it's not even like a late replacement. We're talking December 11th here. Yeah, plenty of time. So you have a lot of options here. Who who would you like to see Macy Barber go up against? I mean, come on now. Listen, we weren't big, and we're still not big on matchups like this. Mm-hmm. For example, when Macy fought Miranda Maverick, it's two of the biggest prospects in this women's flyweight division. We weren't huge on it. And then you look at the fight, and it's controversial. So it was just the shitty ending to a fight we didn't want to see yet. Uh, we right. wanted it in the future. But since we already had one of them, might as well do another one. And because Miss Casey O'Neill is now ranked number 14 in the women's flyweight division following her win this past Saturday against Antonina Shevchenko, she tweeted shortly thereafter that this all kind of came out she wants to take a break, rest for the remainder of the year, get back in early 2022. 
but there are just some temptations that are nudging her along to get back in there before the year's over. And I got to say, Macy Barber's probably one of them. And I I just got to add that stylistically, it's a damn good fight on paper too. Yeah, um, I think I set that up perfectly for you. I just want to give myself a pat on the back there. I really, I really gave you a moment to shine there, Dominic. So call me Rajan Rondo, the way I assist right <laughs> that's now. That's your guy. That's your boy. <laughs> but uh, no, I, that's the matchup I would probably put together too. It's again, I, I'm vocally against the the two prospects fighting before yeah. they've really reached their ceiling. You know, you just see it kind of come back to bite. Mm-hmm. bite the UFC and that's like look at an example a great example is Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman you know those two guys fought before he, either one of them were well known at all yeah and now it's kind of held back the company from really rebooking that fight I think in some ways I mean I right Leon there's other reasons but it it hampers some potential big fights in the future and you know with Macy Barber and with um, Casey O'Neill. I think they both have a lot of potential, not just as fighters in the octagon, but I do think that they not necessarily have star potential because I, I'm not going to start throwing that word around because let's. Mm-hmm. There's very few people that cross that line and become big pay per view draws and all that. But I do think that they could. You know, Macy Barber is very controversial with the fan base. She's got a lot of people that do not like her. I don't really get it. Yeah, but you know she's not a judge. She doesn't judge the fights. If you think Miranda Maverick beat her, that's fine. Right. Most people did, but in terms of like I don't know her confidence or whatever. Like I don't feel like she's you know a bitch or cocky yeah. or whatever. Like I don't get over it. Well, all right. Woo. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> everybody's entitled to their opinion. If they don't like her, they don't like her. Um, if you think right. you know you think she's overrated, whatever. But this would be a fight to really. It's it's a it's a prove it fight for both yeah, women because exactly. Macy Barber could easily be on a three fight losing streak right now. Yeah, while you got Casey who is three zero in the UFC, right? Or is she four yes. zero now? Three zero all via finish. Three zero in the UFC. So you have two women that are in the exact same spot, basically breaking into the top fifteen, but still yet to really make that jump in the top 10 and top yeah. five title contention, but they're moving in opposite directions. You got Macy. That's kind of, she's kind of feels like, she, you know, her, her tanks on E a little bit right now. And she's, mm-hmm. she's looking for the next rest stop to try to get some gas while Casey's just fucking zooming, going a <laughs> yes. hundred on the freeway, baby. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's still interesting though, because I still think Macy Barber is a, a really good talent, especially on she the is. feet. And mm-hmm. that's just what leads to the stylistic matchup here. Um, you know, Casey is a great grappler, but we're still yet to really see her uh, show us much on the feet, at least for right. an extended period of time. While Macy has shown that she can fucking she she'll come she'll, she'll throw bring, hands. She'll, <laughs> she'll bring them hams, man. Yeah, yeah. The hamburine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if oh, if you know, you know. No, nobody knows besides <laughs> us. Let's anyway. go on to the last one. And this is the biggest one of them all. He's the Ooh, biggest guys, the biggest fight. I wasn't fight. expecting this today. <laughs> UFC 270 gets its headliner, at least I assume. And <laughs> it's and it's not at all the fight that I thought it was going to be happening on January 22nd. 
I fully was expecting this spot to go to Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker too. Mm. Instead, to my surprise, Francis Ngannou and Surreal Gone will battle it out, champion versus champion. That makes me sick when the UFC does that shit. But to to Surreal's, give him some respect. He's an interim heavyweight champion. Francis Ngannou, the actual champion. So this fight's fantastic. It might be, I was hearing some whispers, Dominic, on Twitter and everywhere else. Some people are saying this might end up being one of the biggest heavyweight title fights of all time in terms of Mm. pure anticipation and fan interest do you think it really has that kind of legs it's big uh it we'll see how they begin to uh ramp up the promotional side as we get closer i mean i love it we're huge Cyril gone fans we're huge francis and ganu fans regardless of what he did to our boy oh sorry i went the wrong way stipe up there on the wall mm-hmm. but uh i mean it is huge you've got the guy that is the mike tyson of mma quote-unquote and francis and ganu versus this undefeated frenchman who has looked flawless every step of the way, yet to really even be tested in the octagon, Noah. You can only think he has to be tested in this fight. Francis is going to land, right? Right? I mean, okay. (laughs) Well, let's let's just think about it like this. I mean, obviously, we're not going to get too much into like a fight breakdown here, but I'm going to go with the same narrative. I said it for the Derek Lewis fight. I'm going to say it here. Surreal God has to be perfect for the entirety of that fight, which I have no doubt that he can do. Yeah. He's proven that he can do it already time and time again. Francis Ngannou has to be perfect for one punch. It really doesn't even have to be perfect. Did you see the Jarzinho <laughs> Rosen strike <laughs> knockout? He has to touch Cyril, basically. That, that is not what I would call uh, being perfect for one punch, yeah. but look at the results. Yeah, The man hit you and you die. Now, Surreal Gone is definitely going to be the most tech, technically advanced heavyweight that Ngannou's ever going to face. He might be the most techno... I'm about to say technologically. The most, technic, <laughs> the most technically advanced heavyweight that we have ever seen in the I UFC. I agree. Yeah. You know, in terms... Especially just the well-roundedness of his game. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I just can't wait to see how Ngannou responds because Lee looked like he had taken a big jump in that second Stipe fight. That he did. But but is it enough? You know, that's just a big question here. I I did predict we had our, our one of our last special episodes we did um, probably about a month ago or a month and a half ago now. We, we predicted the champions oh, again yeah. for a year from now. I did say... Francis and Ganu, I believe, in that episode. But I, I just have the feeling that him and Gan, I feel like this is the first of what could be mm-hmm. multiple fights. These guys have a lot of staying power in this heavyweight division. I like Francis and Ganu's star potential. I will throw it out there. So I, I could see this becoming a really big deal fight. I don't know if it's going to be able to stack up with, like, if you're talking, if people are, you know, comparing this to, like, the biggest selling Heavyweight oh, fights of all yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, you're you got the Brock Lesnar, Brock Lesnar, Shane Carwin. I yeah, mean, was, come on, guys. I mean, I don't know if it's going to do that, but I, I think it could be a five hundred thousand dollar buy type pay per view, and that'd be like Steep A DC three, which in my opinion is the biggest title fight 
in UFC history. So regardless of weight class too. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think that it could easily do that because Nganu does have that kind of, he's, he's got that swagger, man. Now, I, I'm like giddy thinking about this and it's not till January, man. I, I'm gonna, that's going to be one of those fights, Dominic, where I'm going to be sitting there and my hands are going to get real clammy. Yeah. And I'm going to yeah. be like, I don't, I'm going to be like sitting there, like shoving them under my legs. Like, I hate this feeling. This it's the, I haven't felt that way since, Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler. Yeah. And like, again, going into that fight, I didn't think I had a dog in it. Yeah, it, right, right. But then Charles Oliveira won and I started screaming and <laughs> jumping. And oh, going man. into this fight, I still don't think I don't have a dog in it. I love Nganu and Surreal Gun. I love what they bring to the table. They're both very unique and different for this heavyweight division. They're adding a lot of life to it right now. You know, the heavyweight division's been never been one of the UFC strongest divisions outside mm-hmm. of, I guess when it started, but I just, I don't, I don't have like a dog in the fight. So, I, but I still feel just as nervous as if I'm watching a steep a fight. Exactly. Well, Dominic, I think that's going to wrap it up for these fight announcements. Um, let's get into uh, the wise words of Nick Diaz trained by day, Joe Rogan podcast by night all day. Oh, nice. no, Dominic. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, sorry. that's not in the quote. I'm um, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, we, well, I'm assuming you've heard of Joe Rogan in his podcast, correct? Wait, who? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, don't, don't even play games. After you said you haven't watched The Sandlot, mister. He, he's, he's the $100 million man, baby. Or played Mortal Kombat. You deserve to be ridiculed every time i bring up something popular joe rogan baby so you've seen his podcast correct i have a time or two yeah yeah. just you know just i'm just so people understand we are joe rogan fans obviously not just because of his impact on the ufc but also at least for me i i've watched his podcast quite often um i know you've you've i mean i'm pretty sure you introduced me to it back in the day so i know you've Taking it dabbled. for for a, yeah, you've dabbled a little bit. Taking it for a, taking it for a spin, you know. Yeah. Um, he has just been under attack. He's <laughs> poor guys. Um. Well, I'm sure he's not. You know, mm. I, I'm sure he can cry into his piles of hundreds. Um, yeah. I'm not. I, he doesn't care. But what what started? I shouldn't say that um, he's starting to get attacked. What's starting to happen, Dominic is. Um, I probably started noticing it in the last year, year and a half or so. The fan base, they're starting to more and more of this. While it's still a very minor part of UFC fans, it's becoming a little louder and louder. These, these There's these, this group of people that really don't like Joe Rogan on commentary anymore and would rather him not be there anymore. Um that's kind of been something you'll hear a lot of, you know, there's been some complaints about Rogan's commentary for certain fights that maybe even guys like us complained about like Israel Adesanya, yeah. Israel Adesanya and Jan Blachowicz, um, among others, especially when that happens, then everybody's very vocal about it. And it's like, okay, there are some people that really don't like Joe Rogan's commentary. Now, Joe Rogan missed UFC 266. I guess he had a pre-planned, hunting trip mm-hmm. and um, it appears he might be missing one of the I don't know if he'll be at the Madison Square Garden show or not so um, 
there's a chance he might be missing a couple in a row here for U.S. pay-per-views. He won't do 267, I don't think, because that'll be an Abu Dhabi. But, right, yeah. Um, because of this, we had an article come out about a week ago, so we probably should have talked about this on Monday, but I thought it was relevant still to talk about here. Uh, Trent Rainsmith, Rainsmith, I don't know how to pronounce his name, uh, he wrote an article for Bloody Elbow, and it's an editorial, and the, the title, if I remember it right, I might mess this up a little bit, was um, following UFC 266, or UFC 266 proved that the UFC can and should replace Joe Rogan. That's a that's a big title. That's big shoes. Yeah. That's I mean that's a big claim right there. Um, some of the, you know, and so a lot of it was um, more focused on, you know, some of his personal views or whatnot. Some of his views on vaccines or uh, mask or I guess his thoughts on certain conspiracy theories or whatever. Maybe um, I I didn't read it if I'm being honest, um, but that was the understanding. There was even a claim in there about. The picture that was kind of painted of Joe Rogan was that he's this guy that when he goes to these UFC events, he's like the the last one in and the first one out. He gets paid the most money. So like all of his coworkers, you know, think of Daniel Cormier, Joe Rogan, or John Anik, Michael Bisping, Paul Felder, all these people, Dominic Cruz, they like have this dislike towards him and that it shows on the broadcast and stuff like that. So a lot of, a lot of stuff being thrown around here. Well, this caused quite a debate online because this article did kind of probably for those those fans that have felt like he's that him on commentary has ran its course. They felt a bit maybe validated because such a big um, entity like Bloody Elbow was um, sort of, I guess, confirming what they have been thinking for a while. And then you had the side that I would say is the more majority of people um, as of now, just based on how much of it I was seeing of the defenders and they were going hard in the paint for Joe Rogan, man. Yeah. So I was seeing a lot and not even just, you know, people like me and you like average Joe's below average. Yeah. But, uh, even people like John Anik, like Daniel Cormier speaking up for him and saying that, you know, what a great asset he is to the UFC, what an yeah. honor it is to work with them, all this stuff. So Dominic, we, we know that me and you are fans of him and, I think it's pretty clear based on any time we've talked about him and his commentary in the past. Overall, we like Joe Rogan's commentary. We we are not of the camp that's going to, you know, we're not the the guys. If you want to listen to a debate about if Joe Rogan should be replaced or not, this isn't really the place for that because we, we just both are fans of him and his commentary. However, what I think is an interesting discussion to be had is do you believe that UFC 266 and and maybe even more so just the events that he's not been on, especially the past couple of years in general, do you think the UFC at this point can replace Joe Rogan, even if at the end of the day they really shouldn't? Can they? Yes. And we, we had a discussion about this topic not too long ago on one of the roundtables, but um, I say that in a positive way and in a no negative way whatsoever because – meaning that they can move on, shows you how good the broadcasts still are without him and the high-quality commentary and analytical breakdowns that you get from his replacements, whether it be 
Paul Felder, who I think is an absolute, he's, in my opinion, the best fighter turned commentator. I love listening to really? Paul Felder. Yes, I love mm. Paul Felder. Uh, Dominic Cruz is incredible, though. Biz being incredible. Daniel Cormier, obviously, he's been kind of the fighter that's been doing it the longest. He started in like 2016. So it's crazy to think he's been doing it for five years now. But uh, uh, Laura Sanko starting now uh, on the Contender Series. I'm sure they're going to begin to work her into fight nights. I'd love to see Michael Chandler work into commentary, Anthony Smith, so on and so forth. All it does is prove to me that the UFC, as they continue to grow, is continuing to evolve their broadcasts and broaden their um, just the way they can reach out to uh, different audiences of people with different breakdowns and the types of people they get behind the booth. And Joe Rogan is just the guy that millions of people across the world know, and he's obviously the biggest star, quote-unquote, when he is there on a fight night. But it's not like people are, at the end of the day, buying pay-per-views just because Joe Rogan's there or not there. Uh, he's just an added bonus when he is. So, uh, yes, he can be replaced, and it's not going to happen, like we said, and we don't believe it should. But, again, I'm painting it in more of a positive way as a, in terms of a takeaway than anything else. So, yeah, we did talk about this in maybe slightly different terms. Yeah. It yeah. was just more, you know, still the same kind of, topic but without obviously the 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 editorial to go along with it and obviously the debate being brought back up yeah i mean i think it's pretty clear that they can um i think they have a lot of talent you know in the booth now it's not just joe rogan and mike goldberg anymore you know yeah. you have john Hannick is terrific i mean i yeah. always you know mike goldberg might get he I think he gets a bit disrespected nowadays, but he was great for a long time. Even if you know maybe he wore out his welcome a little bit, maybe he started to you started to get tired of him after a while. He was great. You know, he he really was the voice of the octagon for a long time. Joe Rogan was a necessity for the UFC to have in the early days. Yeah. He was a guy that already had a built-in following. Not only stand-up comedian, but he was the host of Fear Factor, which yes it's not like he's winning Oscars or anything, but the UFC was already on Spike TV, which was kind of a low brow TV network, you know, Mansers and shit like that. I mean, not not exactly yeah. the not exactly the the highest level of entertainment, I guess. For I don't know. Point being, Joe Rogan added a lot of weight with his opinion at that time. He was. He was able to – he was really – I mean, he he knows how to break down fights. He knows the X's and those better than most do. So at that time when it was him and Goldberg, Mike Goldberg is not that kind of guy. He He's really good at his job, but he's not some technical wizard. He's never done it. You know, it's – I mean, it's similar to me or you trying to talk about the X's and O's of a fight. Like, do we do it? Yeah. But is that our strength? No. It's we've never never trained in it, not our thing at all. However, now Rogan doesn't really have to do that because you have all these fighters, all these former fighters and current fighters who have joined the commentary team. You know, his his role has had to adapt because if you have him, Daniel Cormier, and John Anik in the booth, sure, Rogan might be more inclined to talk about some of these more technical aspects of the sport, more of the what you're seeing in the octagon type action than John Anik, but is he really going to do it by talking over Daniel Cormier? I don't right. think so. You know, and he realizes that. 
So he's just sort of shifted more of his priorities. He he has turned himself more into the entertainment side of the broadcast where he really does paint those pictures, you know, that phrase that we like to use where he does build the build these stories up in the fight. And sometimes that's caused him to, you know, when he's not necessarily painted the best picture or maybe clung to a, a narrative that didn't really end up doing too much. Some people have gotten a little annoyed by it or upset by it, and that's the risk you take. But I think he adds a lot. And actually, I would argue that UFC 266, if anything, that was the event that showed me that he's needed just as much as he ever has been. I personally was a little underwhelmed with the commentary in the main event. I mean, that's one of the best title fights of all time. Yeah. And did it really feel like it with the commentary? I, I see, so. I, I I felt like it was still a massive fight, but maybe that's just me not paying as much attention. Well, no, it's a massive fight. It's a massive fight. It's just, I mean, it's it's an awesome fight, but I don't think the commentary really added to the to it. Hmm. And you could argue that if Joe Rogan was there, those big moments, Ortega's submissions, you would have fucking felt that if Joe yeah. Rogan was there. Yeah, and that's not you know that's not a slight on any of those guys, Daniel Cormier or Paul Felder. It's just literally, it's just an outlier in what has otherwise been just. I mean, the guys have all been terrific. I'm surprised you did pick Paul Felder as your favorite, though. He's he's actually probably the one. I mean, I like. I think he's great, but I I, I tend I'm a Daniel Cormier. Yeah. Um, probably Michael Bisping guy. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe more of the entertainer side, I guess, than me. Sorry. Regardless, I think we're on the same page here in terms of Joe Rogan. It's you have the UFC can, but they won't. Um, the, Joe Rogan's going to leave when he wants to leave. Yeah. And would it surprise me if he left soon? No. But also, I don't think he will. I wouldn't predict it. I think he still loves doing it. And, um, you know, he's always been a guy that just kind of goes to the beat of his own drum and yeah does what he wants to do so obviously you're gonna have especially now he's look at what he's really built for himself especially in the last few years hell yeah he's gonna go take a hunting trip if he wants to instead of going to the ufc event i mean look how many ufc events he's done you know yeah it's not a pri- it's he doesn't have to prioritize it like he used to you know it's still it, it's it's a hobby yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so uh, we got a few more news stories, though, before we get into this Saturday's UFC event. Um, starting with Misha Tate and Aspen Ladd. This was a, a bit of a rivalry I didn't see coming. So egg on our face. We may or may not have forgotten to talk about Aspen Ladd on Monday. I, I actually think Dominic just didn't want to talk about it, but... I per- I personally forgot. Um, obviously, Aspen Ladd had a very horrific, uh, se- very horrific scene at her uh, weigh-in day. Um, she was—I don't even know how to describe it, Dominic. She was shaking, um, trying to. Get- it took him like I think it was 10, 11 minutes to get her weighed properly because yeah. she was shaking so much. Um, didn't look good, 
and ultimately she couldn't make the weight. So what at first we heard was that the commission called off the fight. It actually turned out, from what I understand, that her opponent decided not to take the fight, which yeah. she's in her right to do so, and I don't blame her. However, following this, this is not Aspen Lance's first rodeo with the uh, the weight issues. If the Jermaine Durandamy fight was a very scary um, cut for her, one where she was in real bad shape and barely made it into the octagon just to get knocked out in like the 16 seconds. Yeah. Tough one, tough scene there. But then, you know, you just had such a long layoff for Aspen Lance and for this to be another kind of bump in the road for her. It really takes – for a lot of people, this is going to be a gut punch if you're an Aspen Lad fan, I'm sure. So myself. Not only that, but to add on to the to the parade, Misha Tate kind of going for the jugular here. Out of nowhere. Yeah, out of nowhere. Um, kind of accusing Aspen Lad of trying to cheat with her weight cut. You guys remember Daniel Cormier when he weighed in to fight Rumble Johnson the second time he held on to the towel and possibly, probably – got himself under the limit by doing so. Aspen had one of those big box-looking things surrounding her, so, you know, she, nobody sees her naked and whatnot. And Misha was saying that she might that she was, that's why she was shaking so much, like trying to, you know, I don't know. Misha was accusing her of a lot of things and saying how unprofessional it is for her to not make weight and all this stuff. And I believe, I don't know if Aspen Ladd ever directly uh, responded, but I know her coach got involved and actually accused Misha Tate of ducking them for a fight. Um, Kind of a weird response, (laughs) weird direction to go in there. So I'm not even going to really talk about that. But uh, Dominic, you know, as I know you are a big Aspen Ladd fan, um, and so I don't expect you to really, I guess, side with Misha Tate here. But the big question here that's on everybody's mind, I've heard it both ways. That this is kind of the the end of Aspen Lad is like a true you know from reaching really ever reaching her potential, but then I'm also hearing that she still has a shot as long as she goes up the featherweight. Uh, now, yeah. So Dominic, sorry. The the question is, is that move to featherweight is that really going to be, I guess, what solves these problems for her, or do you think that she can still get it done at bantamweight? And I guess try to incorporate some of Misha's thoughts in here too. Just what what are your thoughts on this whole situation? I mean, it's very unfortunate because I'm, I've been a big believer in Aspen lad uh, for the, the amount of time she's been in the UFC. I think she's a very good talent and a, you know, obviously a future title contender can't really say a future champion because Amanda Nunes holds that throne right now, pretty obviously. But uh, you know, I just, I don't like, I mean, in terms of her well-being and health, obviously you want Aspen to fight at the weight class that not only she can still feel her best naturally and size-wise and physique, but also just in terms of the way that she can compete. But when you look at featherweight, is it a good career move? Because there's no one there. It's not a division. There's Amanda, there's Felicia Spencer, and Danielle Wolf and Norma Dumont. And sometimes Holly home when she decides to go to 145. I guess that's five people. Uh, it's not a division. Just look online. There's one picture and it's Amanda Nunes. But again, if she can't make 135 successfully, you don't want her to literally kill herself on the scale. Like Misha Tate kind of went in on a year four. And 
again, it was random for Misha to do this. Maybe there is kind of that past with, I know Misha said more in depth on her podcast, I guess a week after she beat Marion Renault, the UFC, or there was some sort of talk for her stepping in when, um, Kie Son missed weight or mm-hmm. she didn't miss weight, but she fell ill when she was originally supposed to fight Aspen. They asked Misha to step in on a week's notice. She didn't want to because she had just fought. It didn't make sense for her. She couldn't rush and make the weight, all that stuff, yada, yada, yada. So maybe there was just some underlying heat tension, there, yeah. tension, and that's kind of why she went out here. She started by really bashing uh, Aspen in terms of being unprofessional, missing the weight, grabbing the towel, why she was shaking, all this stuff. Then she really went on the coach and kind of said, out, yes, I respect Aspen as a fighter, just she should make weight, yada, yada, yada destroyed the coach saying maybe it's the people around her that are la- making it harder for her to make the weight cut as well. So she, Misha just went off. It was a, I know Noah originally had this as a headline, a, a spicy cupcake or something like that. It was uh, but, uh well, cause Misha's nicknames cupcake. Yeah, so it was yeah. Cupcake with some spice was the uh, original headline. So um, there's another long winded answer from me, but I tried to hit every bullet point there that you posed me with, but all in all, again, should she move to featherweight? If they're going to keep it as a division and she can healthily make it and challenge for a title, sure, do it. But if we're just going to keep fiddling with the division and one doing one fight a year, it makes no sense. So, yeah. Dominic, stop. Let's stop entertaining that this is still a division. It's not. I, I'm, yeah. the, I'm the one that just was saying it. No, wasn't. you're saying, well, if they commit, if they decide, there is no if. They're, these people, let's be clear what they're saying here. They're saying that, look, and I'm not saying that they're in the wrong spot to tell, to say that, okay, should anybody really be giving advice, like, if you're not, you know, in her corner or whatnot? No. Mm, yeah. But if people are evaluating the situation and then their best judgment, they think it might be better for her to go up and wait, that's not a bad take, you know, for her to say maybe Bantamweight's just – too much. However, acting like it's some good career move. I mean, I think even Chael Sonnen said this. Your boy, Chael Sonnen, Bad guy. I'm pretty sure, said that her moving to featherweight would be a great career move because she might be able to get a title shot much quicker. But this, it's, <laughs> guys, it's, this isn't a division. Yeah. Stop. Let's stop pretending like it is. There's it, it's one-off named, title fights. Didn't you name off every fighter? Did you say Megan Anderson? She's not even under contract. No, anymore. I didn't say Megan Anderson. I named oh, five okay. people. I'm sorry. I I don't. I look. Let's. There's there's no division for her career. If Aspen Lad can't make bantamweight, and I and I hate to talk like this considering the what she just went through, but if she can't make bantamweight, she doesn't really have much of a future here Not unless, she, no. unless she can beat Amanda Nunes at 145 pounds and somehow, you know, carry that on. I mean, 145 pounds, she can go be a Bellator and be 145 pounds. Yeah. But the UFC, this is not a division. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. No division yeah. here. Nobody's going to be able to see that, Dom. Uh, Stop it. Hold on. Stop my focus it. is off. It, 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 it's it, just Amanda. <laughs> Shit. The, now uh, I'm I'm getting a little carried away here. We're all over the place. <laughs> Misha Tate, damn it, Misha. On the other hand, she she had a lot to say here, and I will say, 
that while I do feel for Aspen Lad, you know, that, you know, especially if the situation is what she said it was, which can I just right. be honest? Maybe I'm just that much of a dumb guy, but I have never considered a woman fighter having to go through a period while also cutting weight for a fight. Can't imagine. Like I'd never thought of that. I've never thought of it ever. And you got to think it happens probably all the time, it, you know? Well, if it does, then that kind of doesn't that kind of lessen Aspen's case oh, here a little bit. That was but, one um, of the tweets too. But. <laughs> but I will say when I heard it, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like that yeah. would suck. Um, you know, just having to deal with like cramps and stuff while you're also cutting weight, you're draining yourself of these fluids yeah. and whatnot. Doesn't sound fun. Of a process that's already not fun. <laughs> yeah. But. I do think there's a part of me that does look at the situation and kind of go, I think Aspen Lads trying, like at the end of the day, cutting weight is a legal form of cheating if we're looking at it at face value. You know, you, you're basically cutting down so that way on fight night you could come in and be 20, 15, 20 pounds above the weight you're supposed to be fighting at. Yeah, I mean, it's a legal form of cheating. Aspen Ladd tried to come into fight week heavier than she probably should have and therefore was not able to make this cut. Now, did her talking about, you know, going through a period and stuff, that that definitely did stick with me. But then I'm here, I'm having women's fighters come out and say, well, I've gone through it and I yeah. turned out fine. You know, everybody's different. Everybody's right. bodies react different. So I'm trying to, like, put one foot in, like, on that camp of like, you know, I feel for Aspen in that way, but one foot also in the, I think Aspen could really come in the fight week at a lesser weight Mm -hmm. and just walk into the cage Saturday at a smaller weight than she does, but she doesn't want to because she wants that advantage. Right. So this, that's why I'm not really on her side here. And, you know, I'd be honest. I know you're a big Aspen lab fan. I'm not, that's not me. So I, I think that's why we're, I think that's the root of our two different, uh, opinions here but it's just this this was a big wake-up call for her it should be anyways because she talked a lot about macy this and that this yeah, and her last she fight. Did. and um for it to happen again and for aspen to have to stay out even longer it's not a good look and then you got one of the most popular women's fighters in history calling you out all over social media. So that doesn't yeah. look good either. But, I, <laughs> you know, I don't really have anything else to say on the matter. We we good on that one? We're good. All right. We also got Dana White on the Tuesday Night Contender post-fight press conference. Another 35-minute presser? <laughs> well, I don't know if it was I, – I, this one was a bit more quaint for uh, Dana White. No, no big rants or yeah. anything, at least not – in comparison to what we usually or what we had gotten the last couple of weeks, you know, the day lawyer ran, that was an all timer, <laughs> but he did make an interesting point about Henry Cejudo. Um, Henry has, apparently he's back in the USADA testing pool. Now he's coming out of retirement, his intention to fight Alexander Volkanovsky for the featherweight title in the hopes of becoming a three division UFC champion. Um, Dana White did not seem very keen on the matter. He said, uh, "You after being retired for all this time, you want to come out 
and fight Volkanovski. Skip to the front of the line over guys like Max Holloway and others. He's like, it's a tough conversation to have. Yeah. And while <laughs> part of me wants to call, like, that quote, I feel like I've heard someone say towards Dana White before right. when he has made certain title fights. So I, right. I want to call a hypocrite here, but I won't because yeah. I get it. Business is business, whatever. But – are you surprised at all that Dana White is not too interested in this fight? Or is this kind of what you were expecting? This is what I expected. I, I feel like him and Triple C have never been the best of friends anyway. And honestly, it just seems like Dana's so high on this Max and you know, your fight. And obviously, are honestly, the Max and Volk trilogy in general it seems really front of mind for him. So this whole Cejudo thing, I think, really came out of nowhere and Again, the way that Henry kind of left the UFC was rather odd as well, and I feel that left a bitter taste in Dana's mouth. Not that Henry was some massive star, but he was doing big things at the time. I mean, he had won the flyweight title, defended against TJ on the first ESPN Plus card. Then he moved up. He won the Bantamweight title by stopping Marlon Rice. Then he defeated Dominic Cruz. I mean, he was doing some crazy stuff, man, Uh, some unprecedented stuff at the time. So for him to just up and retire like that, and you could see when it happened, Dana, in the back of the octagon when Henry retired, is just like, you got to be shitting me right now. <laughs> and now you look at the Bantamweight division and all the drama that's happening at the top. It's just like, holy shit. He's probably looking at Henry like, you're the cause of all of this right now. Oh, but, really? Uh, no. You think? Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm not surprised by him saying this at all. Uh, I figured he wouldn't be too keen on it. And, I, you said he's back in the USADA pool. I didn't know he re-entered, but either if he did, either way, if he did or not, it's four to six months before you can even fight again, uh, because you have to go through the testing and recycle and all that stuff. So unless you're Brock Lesnar for UFC, and, 200. unless you're Brock Lesnar for <laughs> UFC 200. So either way, I just like I kind of said when we talked about it on Friday, if it does happen, I still don't think it will be next for Volkanovski, regardless. So yeah. okay, so I, I partially agree with what you're saying. I I do I'm not super surprised that Dana's not interested in this. But at the same time, if Dana really if this is really the reason, it's like, well, Max Holloway or Yair, I'm assuming is kind of the if Yair wins, I'm assuming he also falls in line. Yeah. But um if that's really where his mindset is for Max especially, why did you make that fight mm-hmm. when you you could have done if he if he really wants the Max Volkanovski trilogy, he could have had it. Yeah, he could have just not made this fight at all. Yeah, like I'm not saying I I don't dislike like Max and Yair. Great fight. I'm excited for it. I'm a little nervous for Yair, truthfully, but <laughs> I I think it could be really fun. Yair tends to kind of he kind of performs up to his competition sometimes, so it could be yeah. a lot of fun. But why would you book this fight? if that's really what you're more interested in doing, mm-hmm. like I'm going to assume that Max and Yair is going to be at least a pretty solid fight in terms of action. You would think so, you know, maybe Max does replicate what he did to Calvin Cater, but to expect that going in is blasphemous in my opinion. Yeah. Because yeah. How can you expect that kind of performance twice in a row? Yeah. So I do think Max might take some damage in this. I mean, I do. Yair's a very fluid striker, very just wild and 
throws a lot of creative strikes, a lot of spinning yeah. shit that you know you get caught with you might get you, you might it might hurt you a little bit backward so, upward elbows <laughs> yeah so you know the, let's say max wins i don't think he's going to be ready to go like in 2 months mm-hmm. you know yeah and that's why i like thought it might be a good opportunity if volkanovski you know, I felt like even though he took some damage from Ortega, but I felt like he could turn around decent. You know, depending on how quickly, four or five months, I felt like he could get back in there. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, just a Huda fight might make sense. You know, it's a it's a great fight for if you're Volkanovski because, again, it's a it's an advantage that you will never have again in that division. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not saying he will win it. I mean, Henry Cejudo is one of the best combat sport athletes of all time. We'll stand by that, but. I digress. I'm, I'm just a bit. I'm not really. Sh- I don't. I'm not understanding where the priorities are here. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's another. You know, maybe Dana. Maybe there is someone else ends up getting that title shot. Maybe it's not even Henry. Maybe someone like the Korean Zombie somehow gets a title shot because of a lot of this. I mean, Ortega's out for a while, obviously, mm-hmm. and just fought for a title. Max and Yair could end up being some war that. Puts both guys on the shelf. You got Zabit coming back. Maybe was Zabit going to jump in for a title? You <laughs> yeah. got the Korean Zombie. You got you get Chikadze out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's some good options that if if they if they can't go with Max, I just feel like Henry doing all this. I thought maybe there might be an under maybe him and Dana had already talked about it or something. Yeah, and that's that was kind of how I felt. But I don't know. I just I'm not understanding the direction of the featherweight division right now. I hope I get more clarity on it. I think I'll just have to wait till Max and Yair actually fight in November before I get that though. One month remains. Yep. And the last one. January first, twenty twenty two will be a remarkable day, Dominic. And I'm gonna tell you why. Tell me. Because Bellator main events will finally be five rounds. Well, we're taking you- credit for this. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't even I can't I don't know how you do it Dominic I don't know how you do it I can't I can't be so bold when I saw literally every single person on Twitter every MMA podcast talk about it I can't be so bold as to go they must have watched our episode Monday clearly so are you happy are you happy about five round main events you're welcome, fight fans. The Joeys have delivered once oh, again, baby. Stop. Please stop. <laughs> hey, did you actually say the announcement? I'm already blanking if you did or not. You did. Yeah. Bellator's going five round non-main or non-title fight main events. Yeah. <laughs> it's about damn time. It's about damn time. Uh, ten years too late. Only, but, yeah, you know, exactly. It only took a decade. To the MMA community out there, this is a victory for you because you guys bullied. Scott Coker into (laughs) changing this. Um, So, yeah, excited about it. And it it should be the way it is. So, awesome. All right. Let's talk about Contender Series. Tell me. Week six happened Tuesday night. And dare I say, Dominic, Hmm? I told you I've been going back and watching, you know, from the beginning for Contender Series. I'm, I'm halfway through season two. So I've seen all of season five and then from season one to halfway through season two. And I've probably seen a couple episodes scattered about, but I just don't have much memory of them. So going back and rewatching everything. 
from top to bottom, this is the best fight card the contender series has ever had. Not a single misstep on this card. Mm-mm. Everybody on this card came and brought it. The winners look fantastic. So, Dominic, do you agree with my sentiment on that? And also, while you're at it, if you can remember, because I'm throwing so many questions at you, give your standout performance of the night. Uh, yeah, this is incredible. Incredible night of Contender Series. Um, off the top of my head, yeah, I'd have to say it's probably definitely one of the top episodes of all time in terms of top to bottom, first fight of the night to the last fight. Uh, nuts. Four finishes. The one fight that went the distance was absolutely nuts. And that's going to be my biggest standout. I loved the flyweight bout between Carlos Hernandez and Daniel Barres. Uh, I thought it was an incredible fight. They went back and forth, tit for tat. Carlos faced a lot of adversity in the first round, thought he lost the first round, came back strong in the second and third and looked incredible. Uh, and honestly, even for Barres, like I felt that was one of the ones where the loser could have gotten it. I'm okay that he didn't. I'm just saying he could have. It was such a good fight, especially in the flyweight division. It's so thin. You can never go wrong with giving out two contracts instead of one. But uh, Carlos Hernandez, to face adversity again, I like to see that every now and again, as long as you're not like getting your ass beat or anything. But to face adversity, come back strong and look impeccable, especially in that third round where his gas tank never faltered. And that's where Berez really started to fade. He just kept pouring it on, kept looking for the finish. That's what Dana looks for. That's what happens on the Contender Series. I loved the flyweight scrap. Yeah, four contracts were given out. And, you know, what's so what's so funny, Dominic, is you were sitting there talking about, oh, what a great fight I watched. And then you said Carlos Hernandez and Daniel Perez. And it was a great fight. Yeah. But I bet every person listening that watched Contender Series <laughs> thought you were about to talk about Gennaro yeah. Valdez and Patrick White, which just shows the quality of this card. I mean, you had two fights that Dana might have a point a couple weeks ago he called out the media and said you guys got to start considering some of these contender series fights for your fight of the year discussions we saw two of them here and now (laughs) I will give Hernandez and and, uh, Barez the the nod in terms of technical ability and um, you know more of that potential side of things you know they they look more like long-term investments uh, if you will uh, Valdez and Patrick White, that was just a – what's the word? What's the word you use? A slobber knocker. Slobber that's a, that's knocker. A, that's a Dominic Sully <laughs> word right there. That th- These were two guys that literally just played rock'em, sock'em robots right in front of each other. And, you know, Valdez was a huge favorite here, 6-1, to one, almost 7-1, to one, I think. And Patrick White really laid it on him early, was really mm-hmm. beating his ass, but – both guys at different points in the – I mean, this fight barely went over a round. It was done in 44 seconds of round number two. But, man, it felt like the momentum was shifting so often in this fight. It would look like one guy was done and exhausted. Yes. Then the other guy was done and exhausted. Patrick White ends up being the one that kind of folds in the end. But I think – I'm sure he'll be back. Um, Valdez, shout out to you for putting on a hell of a performance. Wasn't – Sure, if he was going to get a contract, just because ultimately it was, I mean, uh, all defense out the window, all technical ability out the window. This was literally just throwing hands at each other. But you know what? There's a place for that in the sport. I don't, we could sit here and talk about the beauty of the, of the technique and, you know, how fun that is. But come on, Dominic. There's a really fun, there's a part of you that loves the, the, these kind of fights too, these little messy, these messy, dirty fights right here. 
it, hey, it's that beautiful chaos, baby. Yeah. So my standout performance is probably going to be Mike Malott. Oh, I, th- um, I thought your standout was okay. No, okay, I'm well. I thought you were going to say Mike Malott, so okay, fair enough. I'm going to give Mike Malott a shout out because uh, he did look fantastic. He, 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 he was in the main event and got the submission in uh, what was it, 39 seconds. He's like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> Basically, you saw a guy that went in there, and I, also very interesting note. I'm pretty sure this was his first or second fight since 2017. He took like an extended mm-hmm. hiatus. From MMA, apparently he was like a really good boxer, oh. kickboxer, and he like fell in love with jiu-jitsu. Got his black belt, started coaching jiu-jitsu, and now he's making a run back in MMA. So interesting story there. I don't I don't know if I have the all the neat details in there, but um, Canadian guy, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, Canadians love their MMA fighters, and in this performance, he basically. Went in there. I'm sure he had a game plan, but once the fight came to him, he saw a guy that was able to adapt and take advantage of openings that he was able to find yep. in the fight. Uh, smoke, smoke. <laughs> well, one of those last names, Smotritsky. <laughs> Smotritsky. Uh, he kind of exposed his neck when he was uh, shooting. I, I think he was shooting for a takedown or something. And uh, yeah. And uh, Malat just immediately gets oh, a hold of that neck, and it was snatched done. it. I mean, just so quickly was able to flow into it after trying to defend the takedown. It was beautiful. Great stuff, man. I mean, how could that not be a standout? Yeah. I will say my real standout <laughs> yeah, exactly. is the one fucking winner who didn't get the contract. Are you serious, Dana? Come on, Dana. Dana, Dana knew. He knew. He's like, Noah's loving this night of fight so much. Like, he's been shitting on the contender series all season and now he's loving it so i'm going to give the guy that he likes most i'm going to tell him you can't get a contract you got to come on dana white looking for a fight <laughs> on youtube <laughs> one million views in 24 hours whatever but uh no joseph holmes looked fantastic he got a submission victory over shante barnes he methodically pieced apart shante barnes you know it was probably the least exciting fight on the card i mean I don't know, Mike Malott, 39 seconds. Like, is that really much of a fight? But, I mean, it was probably the least exciting fight, a slower pace. But I just saw Joseph Holmes look like a far superior uh, fighter in the cage. And that really showed just – I mean, I'm pretty sure he didn't even get the choke fully in. It was uh, around the chin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. um, Which is, you know, shows the kind of squeeze that guy has. So, hopefully he gets that contract after he goes and fights on – Dana White looking for a fight, but I was very disappointed he didn't get a contract, but I'm sure he'll win and get in and then I'll be happy. There you go. Noah's new favorite fighter. Yep. Let's move on to Saturday night. So Dominic, should I say this now? I'm going to say it now. Sure. Go ahead. So the month of October ends. Well, month of October does have a lot to look forward to for MMA. UFC 267s at the end of the month, mm-hmm. PFL playoffs. Mm-hmm. We got some good Bellator uh, main events coming up. Yep, Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. One of the weaker parts of this month for MMA has got to be these UFC fight nights. I've seen better. You know, don't get me wrong, we're getting a great main event and a cup. Well, this is a good main event. Let's skip over next week. <laughs> And then uh, you get Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori, which is an awesome fight. 
If it happens. Yeah, true. And maybe <laughs> it'll probably be Marvin Vittori, Kelvin Gastelum. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, the problem is, is that we don't watch these cards for just the top fight. We know that. Yes. It obviously helps, but we like to watch a, a card of good fights. I'm not saying they got to be a bunch of ranked contenders and stuff, but these cards are just very thin. Dare I say, Dominic, they feel a lot like boxing cards, Ooh. you know, where it's essentially the one fight and everything else is kind of like there. And it starts this Saturday, but um, there are some good fights on here and we're going to talk about them, but you know, just not one of the stronger months for the fight nights of the UFC, but it's going to end on a very high note. UFC 267 leads directly into first week in November with the yeah, UFC I mean, 268. I mean, they're stacking their pay-per-views so much that like, yeah, hey, <laughs> they're man. out of ranked fighters. To that's, put what on the fight that's, that's what I'm paying the majority of the money for. So yeah, like, I ain't going to complain too much. I'm just more of an observation. I'll still, as long as the fights deliver, exactly, it won't matter. But our main event, this is a fight that I definitely expect some good things from. Mm-hmm. And that's because Mackenzie Dern goes up against Marina Rodriguez. These are probably the two women in this division with the most momentum outside of maybe the champion, Rose Namajunas. Both have looked fantastic in different ways. Mackenzie Dern is a jiu-jitsu ace who has shown a willingness to stand in the pocket over her last couple fights. That fight with Birna Janadova was an awesome fight. Even though neither woman was a natural striker, McKenzie bit down on the mouthpiece and was Mm -hmm. like, let's swing, bitch. (laughs) Raina Rodriguez is all gas, no break in the striking. I mean, look at what she did to your poor girl, Amanda Hebus. That was hard to watch. And... She looked fantastic against Michelle Waterson, I thought. Yes, she did. And I even thought in that fight, again, Michelle Waterson is not the grappler that Mackenzie Dern is or Carlos Barza was, but I thought she showed at least some smarter takedown defense in that fight. Improvements, yeah. Yeah. But, Dominic, the question that's got to be on anybody's mind who understands these two fighters is they both excel – and one aspect truly of mixed martial arts. And the other has been the, something they've been working on that they've had exploited in the past. So, Dominic, do you trust Mackenzie Dern striking or Marina Rodriguez's grappling more? And ultimately, do you think that that's going to have to come into play for that person to win this fight? Yeah, so I, I trust Mackenzie Dern's striking yeah, I knew more. Than Marina's uh, grappling and jujitsu, and that's just because not only is she showing an evolution in her striking game, but it's also with one of the best striking coaches in the world, and Jason Perillo. That dude is an ace when it comes to uh, striking and boxing. So, and you look at the camp that he has with Bisbing, Luke Rockhold, Chris Cyborg. The list goes on and on. Um, but yeah, I, I think I favor Dern in the striking, and that's also because she can use her advancements in that realm to set up the takedowns easier to initiate the grappling transitions better. And then to inevitably look for the submission that we all know she's going to try and get Uh, for Marina. She did show improvements against Michelle Watterson. Again, not the level of grappler and jujitsu that Mackenzie Dern is, but still improvements nonetheless. But you saw how she looked in 
you know, the fights where she lost or has had draws because she's got two draws in the UFC. Her record is 4-1-2. and two. It's one of the weirdest <laughs> records you'll see. But yeah. it, it shows because she will get 10-8-ed. Is that a term, 10-8-ed? Uh, <laughs> when she gets grappled. See the Carla Esparza fight, for example. So, again, if she continues these improvements, and it's we haven't seen her since Jan or when did she fight? It was January for Amanda. It was June like or May. something, May or June May. for Watterson. So it's been a little while since we've seen her. So I don't doubt that she's continued to work on that aspect of her game. But Mackenzie Dern is a world champion, world class jujitsu ace. But if Marina can keep it on the feet, can stuff some takedowns and prolong it in the striking department, that's when Mackenzie's going to not want to be there anymore because Marina's as dangerous as they come in this division in terms of the striking, her Muay Thai, her clinch distance close range it doesn't matter she has power to back it up too and she showed that when she literally knocked out amanda hebas not once but twice in their fight back in january so uh, i'm very excited for this fight it is a grappler striker but there's more to it when you kind of dig in as we are here uh, and it, it is a big deal i think it deserves more attention than than what it's getting because champion aspirations are in fact on the horizon it can't be said enough yeah, I mean, I I firmly believe the winner of this fight will be fighting the winner of Rose and Wei Li. Barring, I guess, maybe if Wei Li wins, then they do some sort of trilogy, but I digress. I, I look at this fight as like a, a number one contender fight. And not a lot of people, I think, are giving it that kind of respect, and that's not really on the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't think the UFC is fully committed to that, which is, you know, that's fine. They, they don't have to commit to it right now. You know, it's number four and Dern and number six and Rodriguez, but I want to start with Rodriguez. I've really enjoyed the run she's been on as of late, you know, Mm -hmm. basically this year she's looked like a new fighter in some ways. Now I say that, but the matchups have, have been more favorable, I guess, compared to when she was fighting Carlos Barza. That was, you know, one of the tougher fights for her in this division. And Mackenzie Dern, unfortunately for Marina, falls into that category of a, a kryptonite-level matchup for her. Yeah. It, it, it is going to be a hard, hard time for her to stay off her back. But if she can do it, if she has made those those changes into her game and really focused on that, I you know, Mackenzie Dern, to her credit, has shown a willingness to strike. She has shown improvement in that striking. I will say... I trust her striking more. Actually, mm, you know what's strange, Dominic? I think Mackenzie Dern's striking is better than Marina Rodriguez's grappling. Mm-hmm. But I think neither skill is going to be good enough to even hang with the their opponent. Yeah. So what I worry about yeah. here, I actually am going to side with Marina's grappling that I trust more. Hence, and this is why I'm wording it. The, the wording here is very meticulous. You're setting it, it up. Yeah. I didn't intend it to be, but I'm going to roll with it. So the the reason why I trust her grappling more is because Marina knows, at least I'm going to assume, she knows she has no shot in hell if she's on her back in this fight. Yeah. McKenzie's gotten a lot of confidence from fighting Birna and others where she's looked pretty good on the feet. I could, I've just, the reason why I don't trust her striking is because I worry she might almost fall in love too much with the striking mm-hmm. to the point where she's like, you know what? Maybe I can hang with someone like Marina Rodriguez and bam, done. Yeah. yeah. You're, 
fucking waking up to some smelling salts or whatever. Yeah. So I, I that's the difference here. So that's where I trust Marina more. I feel like she knows where her skills lie and is going to focus on that. While Mackenzie seems like she's kind of enjoying these aspects that she's really not focused on until recently. But it's just not her striking's not. No matter how good it is at this point, it's not Marina Rodriguez level. No. It's going to be a bad day for her if she decides to stand with Marina for longer than you know she needs to minutes. be. Yeah, exactly. So. At the end of the day, though, I do think there's something to be said about this fight. I think a big win for either woman could really, really force the, the, the UFC to maybe reconsider that Carlos Esparza title fight again. I know I kind of forgot about her when I said my point yeah. at the beginning about uh, thinking the title shall be next. But, you know, it's it's the UFC could have put Carla in a title fight if they wanted to. It doesn't seem like they really did. If Marina or Mackenzie come in here and put on a good performance, a great performance, it's going to be hard to deny them either because, let's face it, they're both just more exciting fighters than Carlos Esparza. Yeah, that's true. It's not how Outside we Outside of her friends. last performance. Right, right, right. But I'm just saying that that's – and, yes, you're right. That performance of Rian Jalman was a, a stamp, so we thought yes. – but exactly. I think Carla's resume has carried I, – I think it's it's carried with her some negativity almost mm-hmm. in that a bit of a boring fighter, if you mm-hmm. will. All in all, though, great fight. I am very much looking forward to this one. Yes. Let's get into the rest. we got there three fights some. to go over here. The co-main event. Not a good co, not a great co-main event, but the fight itself I think could mm. be good. Fireworks. Randy Brown against Jared Gooden. These yeah. are two guys that you know. Randy Brown's probably the one that more fans will know of, will have heard of. Mm-hmm. He's been in a lot of fun fights over the years, um, but on the receiving end of some tough knockouts. You know the Nico Price uh, knockout. I believe he, Randy Brown, was the one that was in Nico's guard, kind of, and Nico hammer-fisted him off his back Yeah, the knockout, I think. But um, point being, I think this fight has the makings to be a, a real, like, fight of the night level fight yes, here. For sure. Um, Jared Gooden's going to have that power. He's the bigger guy. He's, he's a, a brick house, man. The dude's fucking built. He's shredded. Yeah, and uh, Randy Brown's got more of the lanky. Probably gonna have the reach advantage. I don't really know what those measurables look like, but yep. I digress. I like that kind of matchup here. Randy Brown had an amazing submission over Cowboy Oliveira back in the spring. With the didn't even use his second arm and got the 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 guillotine choke. So like, just saying, man, like this fight could get really fun because both guys like to finish fights and. They do a pretty fun fashion. Yeah, these guys combined to finish 25 out of 31. It's going to be fun for however long it lasts. Gooden, the real strong, bulky guy. Randy Brown is 6'3", 78-inch reach, so he's long, rangy, but he's well-rounded on the ground. What's weird, though, and I saw it, as obviously, as I take my notes, Gooden has six submissions in his own right, so both these guys can get the job done anywhere it goes, and that always makes it more fan-friendly. Yes, it's odd seeing this as a co-main, but as Noah said, on paper, and I think truly 
no doubt when they're in the octagon. This is going to be an exciting fight. There's going to be a stamp. Someone's going to get finished. I can't wait to see who that may be and who's going to come out with a statement made. Two top 15 flyweights, Tim Elliott and Matthias Nicolau. Nicolau coming off of that. I don't know if that was his last fight, but he did get a win over Manel Cape. That yep, was a really was close fight. Nicolau looked great. I think he's only 2-0 and in the UFC, so he's really making a splash in here um, in his so far short UFC tenure. While Tim Elliott's been around forever. Uh, this is the guy that won the Ultimate Fighter and got to fight Demetrius Johnson and actually gave him a decent run for his money compared to how most guys fared against Demetrius. But Tim, Elli- Tim Elliott's ultimately been kind of that – he's been that uh, gatekeeper type. He's he's – He's he's probably lost as many fights as he's won in the UFC, but he's, you know, he always brings out the best out of his opponents and really brings the fight to him. And here against Nicolau, it's a lot on Nicolau's shoulders here to prove it that he's that he's for real because the experience advantage is going to be on Tim Elliott's side. And um, yeah, I, I I really like Tim Elliott. I do kind of wonder if. Uh, how many more losses he can really take before UFC might um, give him the pink slip, so to speak. So, you know, maybe he has some added motivation because of that, because he's, you know, a bit of a 500 fighter. And um, all in all, though, should be a good one. Yeah, I, I think it will be. I mean, Elliot is kind of that veteran of the division two stints in the ufc six and nine overall which i thought was odd and i will just say and this is no slout because i think it's because of nicolau's most recent performances where it feels like he is that newcomer but i was actually surprised he's actually six and one in the ufc but he's on a three fight yeah but he's on a three fight win streak now including the win over cape which was actually a split decision which was kind of here or there but it was a good fight and that's why he's kind of just now in that top 10. He's the younger guy. Both guys have a lot of experience. They like to go to the distance. Mm-hmm. This is going to be kind of that technical, more slower-paced bout. Maybe Elliott puts some pressure on him. He's on a win streak, too. We'll see what happens. Last one to talk about. This is one that more for me. Phil Halls. I'm a big fan of Phil Halls, and he's back against Darren Wynn. Um, this fight might not end up being very exciting, but I am very high on Phil Halls. And he gets a matchup with Darren Wynn, who is seemingly nobody's favorite fighter. Uh, I, I like Darren Wynn. I, I think he's a funny guy, but um, he is not the most exciting fighter in the world. And, man, does he just make things weird by just being in the divisions he's in. He's like 5'5", five, five, but he's 185 pounds. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's And he struggles to make that sometimes. Um, he's going to really try to – he's going to obviously try to wrestle this fight for three rounds. Um, it'll be up to Phil Halls to keep things on the feet. Phil Hall, this is going to be a weird fight to watch because Phil Halls is fucking huge for this yeah. division. So um, I don't know. I just don't see Darren Wynn being able to really hold him down. But I guess we'll find out. Dominic, be honest, are you excited about this fight or no? <laughs> yes and no, because <laughs> if Phil Halls wins, I expect it to be pretty damn convincing and that when you tune into this fight by the way you're gonna think this is two different weight classes because <laughs> phil Halls is gonna be six inches taller and has a seven and a half inch reach advantage so i just want everybody to know they are both fighting at the same weight class but yes if phil hall wins i think it's gonna be exciting 
fast-paced, big knockout. But Darren Wynn wins. He's more than likely going to implement a very grapple-heavy approach. And when he does, it's not always the most exciting way it's to win fights. Tom controlled than yes, exactly. That's, that's so right. I'm not saying he can't prove me wrong. He's got four KO finishes in his career. So we'll see how he does here. Uh, I can't wait to see the size difference. Can Darren Wynn close the distance and kind of implement his game plan? Because he did that against uh, Antonio Arroyo. The size difference in that one was nuts, and he dominated mm-hmm. that fight. So we'll see. <sighs> yeah, I feel like I was going to say something else, but yeah. I'm excited. For, I I'm, I like Phil Halls a lot. So I'm, Oh, yeah, undefeated I'm, in the UFC, man. Yeah, he did have the one dud against Imabov, but. Besides that, the guy's been really fun to watch, I think. So oh, yeah. be on the lookout if you guys are checking out this card. Uh, be on the lookout for Phil Halls. We will see you guys on Monday again. That'll be when we do our recap for the weekend. Um, but yeah, until then, Dominic, tell the good people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Diesley14. More importantly, go follow, go engage, go interact with the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. For me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at NTBaker underscore. If you go to my bio, there's a link that'll take you to the link tree, okay. which will provide you a list of links mm-hmm. to all the platforms the podcast is on, along with the social media platforms. So that includes, but it's not limited to, oh, wait, kind of is. Mm. The Twitter, the Instagram, the YouTube channel, and Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. It's all on there, baby. And there's a couple links for today's sponsor, Anchor. Shout Shout out. out First, leaving a voice message. Second, if you would like to leave, (laughs) becoming a supporter of the podcast, if you'd like to leave a small sum of money, all that money will go back into improving the quality of the podcast. But leave a voice message. Please. That's it. We're out. We'll see y'all on Monday. Bye. Have a nice time.